words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, today I want to preach based on our Old Testament reading, which is that passage from Isaiah 35. And God gives this vision to Isaiah to encourage the people of Israel at a time when they're going through some great suffering. He wants them to be strengthened by this vision of, of everlasting joy. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. During this time, uh, the people of Israel had suffered because the, the Babylonians had taken them captive. Uh, Jerusalem was in ruins. The temple had been destroyed. They're living in exile. But God sends Isaiah to encourage them with this vision of everlasting joy. This is something that they need to live with the hope and the anticipation of this joy that is to come. And you know, this is the kind of, this is the season, the season of, of Christmas, of Advent, where uh, anticipation, the anticipation of joy to come is, is something that makes the season fun, especially for kids as they anticipate maybe what they're going to get on Christmas Day. And that's why I think I kind of blew it last week, because I gave my family the big Christmas present early. And, uh, and the reason I did that is because Noah, our son, came across the present early. And he, he says it was by mistake. He really wasn't looking for it, but it's a, it's a new TV, and we had it in the garage, and he was looking for something else, he says, and he came across this new TV. And so I decided, well, the cat's out of the bag. Let's just bring it into the house and set up and enjoy it until Christmas. Well, there was weeping and gnashing. Uh, for some of the kids hated that idea. What do we have to look forward to on Christmas Day, Dad? Half of our fun has been taken away. So I offered to take it back, but they didn't go, they didn't go for it. <laughs> but we like to anticipate the good gifts to come. And this season of Advent is about that. It's a time to anticipate the good things that God has in store for his people. God wants us as his people to live with this sort of living hope. It's not something abstract and out there, but he wants us to be filled in our hearts and in our minds with this hope of the joy that is to come. And that's why we have this passage in Isaiah 35, God giving the people this hope of everlasting joy. He wants them to live with a sense of anticipation. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Now, part of this vision was fulfilled in the 6th century because after the Babylonians, the Persians took over and Cyrus the Great allowed the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem. The exiles were able to return to Zion, to Jerusalem, the Holy Land. And so part of this, the Holy City, and part of this vision then was fulfilled in the 6th century. But another part of this vision was fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus, and we'll see that in a minute. And then the ultimate fulfillment of this vision of everlasting joy for the people of God is going to come when Christ comes again. 
And God establishes a new heaven and a new earth that we read about in the book of Revelation. So biblical prophecy is often fulfilled in stages, in a progressive fashion. But what I want to do this morning is just look at the, the sort of elements of, or the ingredients of, of this everlasting joy that God has prepared for his people based on this vision of Isaiah 35. What can we anticipate? What can we look forward to as God's people? Well, we can look forward to a perfect creation, a perfect environment. And several verses in this passage speak to that. Listen to verses 1 and 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. These were places, Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon, these were places known in the ancient world for natural beauty and abundance. So uh, Lebanon was known for its its great cedars, the mighty cedars of Lebanon. You see that reference sometimes in the scriptures, sometimes in the Psalms that talk about the cedars of Lebanon, a symbol of, of might and strength. Carmel was known, the region of Carmel was known for thick and abundant forests. And uh, Sharon was known for flowers. It was renowned for flourishing uh, flowers and beautiful flowers. And we've heard about the rose of Sharon comes from that region. So these were places known for the abundance and beauty of the natural world. And Isaiah is saying when this vision is fulfilled, these wilderness areas in the dry land are all going to be like these places. There'll be abundance and beauty. And this will bring glory to God. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. The desert places will be filled with water, life-giving water. Verse 6. The waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then when this, create, when this vision is fulfilled, creation will no longer represent any sort of threat. It will not be a source of pain or suffering. Look at verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. No animal to threaten. No source of pain or suffering from the created world. The created world will be redeemed. So, of course, now uh, we take delight in God's creation. The world is filled with beauty and goodness. And we know that that, that gives glory to God now. But we also know that the natural world can be a source of pain and suffering and grief. I was reading something about Abraham Lincoln. Do you know how his mother died when he was nine years old? His mother died. You know how she died? She died of something called milk fever. And what had happened was the cows got into some poisonous weeds, and she drank the milk. And this was known to happen in pioneer times, and she just drank the cow's milk, and she died because these cows got a hold of the wrong kind of weeds. And, uh, and of course... That happened when Lincoln was only nine years old, and some people point to that as a factor in the depression that he struggled with throughout his life. Well, I don't believe that that was part of God's original intent when he created the world. When God created the world, what did he say? It is good. It is good. 
And I don't think it was part of God's original intent for mothers to die because of the kinds of plants the cows ate. It wasn't part of God's original design for children, thousands of children, to die each year because of the mosquito-borne virus, malaria. God created the world, and he created it good, but since the fall, sin has corrupted everything, including creation. But God promises it's not always going to be like this. And so we can anticipate living in a perfect environment. That's part of the joy to come. And we can also look forward to God's perfect justice in the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 4, Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. I've already talked about how the Jewish people suffered under the Babylonians, under Babylonian captivity, how their city was destroyed, how their temple was destroyed. And when the Babylonians attacked Israel, uh, their neighbors attacked Israel. In the south, there was this territory um, known as Edom. The Edomites were descendants of Esau. And when the Babylonians attacked, the Edomites attacked and started to take away some of the southern territory of Judah. And so these people had suffered greatly. They'd seen their homeland wasted, the temple destroyed. And they cried out as they were in exile. And we can read this throughout the Old Testament. They cried out for God's justice. They wanted God to to pay attention to what had happened to them. There was this yearning for justice, for God to set things right. And God promises a day is coming when that's going to happen. Perfect justice. And even today, of course, we sense this need for justice, don't we? When we see terrible things happening to innocent people. Last Sunday, Josie and I spent some time with some missionaries, a missionary couple that lives in, um, or did live, in Caracas, Venezuela. You know what's going on in Venezuela right now. It's just collapsing. The economy has collapsed. The infrastructure, infrastructures and social systems have collapsed. And he was telling us about um, these gangs that have started up in Venezuela. And they've taken over. And he said, you'll be driving down the highway, and, and there's these gangs that come along with motorcycles, and they'll stick a gun in the window and force you at gunpoint to give what you have. You have to roll up your windows and you have to drive, you know, one eye looking behind you constantly because of these gangs. In fact, this couple, the reason they had to leave, finally, Venezuela, they didn't want to leave. They're running an orphanage in Caracas, Venezuela. They didn't want to leave these children behind. But they were robbed at gunpoint. These gangs came into their house and robbed them of everything. And... Uh, the, the, the one guy had, had somebody stick a gun to the back of his head, and he had to give up everything to these gangs. And uh, these gangs have robbed the orphanage of food and medicine. And you hear something like that, and you say, where's justice? Where are the police? Well, they're outgunned. Where's the government? Well, they're corrupt. And you cry out for justice. When you hear this, something rises up within you and says, something's got to be done here. There's this God-given desire for justice. And God says that desire one day will be answered, will be fulfilled. In the meantime, we, we pray as Christians and we work for justice. But our ultimate hope is in this, that God is going to come and set things right. I think that's part of the joy that saints are going to experience in heaven, knowing that God has made things right. Nobody is going to get away with anything anymore. When God comes, when the judge comes. Well, here's something else. We've talked about perfect creation, perfect justice. Now listen to this, verses 5 and 6. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. God is going to restore broken bodies. He's going to restore a broken creation. He's going to restore broken bodies. Let's just pause for a minute and think about these promises that God is making here in this vision. I mean, because they're really incredible and hard to believe, aren't they? Perfect justice, perfect creation, perfect bodies. Why, why would we believe this? They're hard to believe. How can we take it seriously? Is there any reason to think that this is going to be fulfilled in some sort of literal way in history? Well, I think one reason to trust that all of this is going to happen is that we see some of it happening in the ministry of Jesus. As I said at the beginning, some of this was fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus the Messiah. And we see that in our gospel reading. Listen to what Jesus says to John the Baptist's disciples. Hear again what he says. John sends his disciples and says, we want to know, are you the real deal? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that God sent? And what does Jesus say to these disciples? He says, Go back and tell John what you have heard and what you have seen. These things were happening in the ministry of Jesus. People heard and saw them. The blind received their sight. The lame walk. Lepers cleanse. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And you go back to the prophecy of Isaiah 35. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame man will leap like a deer. See, the healing ministry of Jesus is a sign that the kingdom of God has come in him. The healing ministry of Jesus that happens even today is a sign of the kingdom of God breaking in. And it's a, it's a preview of the final healing that will come when he comes again in glory. And the final healing, of course, is the resurrection of the body. And that is the hope that sustains us. As we go through difficulty, as we go through suffering, as we suffer physically or see someone else going through that suffering, we know that this is not all there is. We have this hope of wholeness and healing and restoration. And that should shape, and this is kind of my point of the whole sermon, this hope that we see in Scripture, here in Isaiah 35 and in other places throughout the New Testament, for example, Revelation 21, the vision of the new heaven and the new earth, and all the promises that we have in Jesus Christ about what's going to happen when he comes again, these sort of promises should fill our hearts and minds now and energize us and fill us with hope as we live this life. It should change the way that we think and live. I, I came across this great illustration. This is from another Anglican priest. A great illustration of how living with this hope changes our mindset and how we live. It's based on a true story. There was this husband and wife from Canada that got lost. Uh, they were going to Nevada. They were going to Las Vegas, Nevada for a trip. And they took a shortcut in a remote area in the mountains, and they got stuck. They were in a Chevy van, and they got stuck in the mud. And... Uh, their, their names were Alfred and Rita Creton. Unfortunately, Alfred Creton went to look for help, and he never came back. This was in the dead of winter. So Rita stayed in the Chevy van for seven weeks, and she survived on candy 
and trail mix. And every day she would get out of her van and she'd go down to this little stream and drink some of the water. And that's how she survived. And um, she put bright colored blankets all over the, the vehicle, hoping that somebody would see SOS signs on the windshield. And there she was, week after week, praying she was a Christian and hoping that somebody would come and save her. Well, towards the end, she was so weak, she couldn't even get out of the van to, to go very far to, to get water. So she was drinking out of muddy puddles. Eventually, three guys show up. They're on ATVs. They're out there to hunt. And they come across this van. And, and they say, we're here. We're going we're to save you. We're going to rescue you. And they gave her some food. They gave her Doritos and some beef jerky. And they said, now listen, you're so weak that you can't hold on to us as we we take you on the ATV. She just was so weak. So they said, we promise we're going to come back in one hour. But can you stay here with your Doritos and your beef jerky because we know there's a ranch about an hour away and we will come back and we will rescue you. And so um, that's what they did. Now, when they returned with extra help, they were shocked at what they saw. Now, this is coming from a report here at this point. Mrs. Cretans had taken down the blankets She ripped down the papers from the windshield. She had her purse slung over her shoulder, suitcases packed and ready to go. She even appeared to have fixed her hair. She was smiling and happy. Now, I love this this part. She handed the bag of Doritos back to one of her rescuers, neatly rolled up and clipped at the top. Now, what had changed? Well, she knew that rescue was on its way. She could look forward to, to, to being out of that situation. She was living in that hour. She was living in this in-between time. She wasn't quite rescued yet, but she had hope. She knew rescue was on its way. And that changed the way that she, she was living and thinking. It changed her countenance, and she wasn't drinking from muddy puddles anymore. And that's our position now, friends. We are in this in-between time. Between Christ's first coming and his second coming, And we see injustice and we see brokenness and we see and experience suffering. But we know that this is not all there is. We have hope because Christ has come and Christ will come again. Salvation is on its way. Here's the final thing I want to mention. We've talked about perfect creation and perfect justice and bodies and and wholeness and health. And the final thing I want to mention just very briefly is this perfect unity with God's people or among God's people. That is part of the everlasting joy that we'll experience in the new heaven and the new earth. Isaiah says this, a highway shall be there, a highway leading to Zion, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even, I like this, even if they're fools, they're going to know where to go. They shall not go astray. But this is a picture of all of God's people together, moving in the same direction, headed towards the heavenly city. All of God's people honoring and worshiping and loving God together on this path of complete dedication and consecration to God, the way of holiness. And this is what any Christian really longs for as we see the divisions in the church. We long for unity. As we meet fellow believers, we long for a sense of greater unity with them. Concord, solidarity with our brothers and sisters. And one day, God promises that's going to happen. It's part of the everlasting joy of God's people. 
So, brothers and sisters, yes, there are reasons to be anxious. There are reasons to be afraid. But God gave this vision to Isaiah to a people who were tempted to be anxious and fearful. And he said, based on this vision of what's to come, be strong, fear not, strengthen your weak hands, and make firm the feeble knees. People in the world always live in despair because their only hope is this world. But that's not how the people of God are to live because our hope is in the God who gave us Jesus Christ, Christ who healed the sick and raised the dead, burst forth from the tombs, from the tomb. And so let's live with this vision before us of everlasting joy, gladness and joy when sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this vision. We thank you for your promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have. And I pray, God, that you'll help us during this Advent season especially. Stir up the hope that you've given us. If we're tempted to despair, if we're tempted to complacency, if we're tempted, God, to to sort of wallow in, in pity and a sense of, of complacency and despair about what's happening in the world today. Lord, help us to lift our eyes to the coming city and to this experience of a joy that is beyond our ability to even imagine. Thank you for all that you've given to us in Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.